Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, all. Happy holidays. I hope this year was a wonderful one for you, full of growth, adventure, learning, fun, magic, and magic internet money. For the end of year, actually end of decade festivities, we at Unchained will be doing a giveaway. Woohoo! Of all kinds of nice items that we accumulated this year. If you want to win one of these nine lovely items, here's what you have to do. One, tweet about Unchained with a link to your favorite episode or the show itself. Two, give us a favorable review on a podcast platform such as Apple Podcasts. Three, send us links to your tweet and your review. Plus, name your top three swag items in order of preference, as well as how you'd like to be called when we announce the winners on the show. Also include your mailing address, but don't worry, we will not be naming that on the show. Email all this to hello at unchainedpodcast.com with the subject line giveaway by midnight on Sunday, January 5th, 2020. These are the items we're sending to nine lucky winners. I will put the link, the text of this in the show notes as well, so you can name your top choice items easily. A ballet crypto wallet. A ballet crypto wallet sample. The main difference between these two is that the sample has less fancy packaging. A copy of the little Bitcoin book that I bought before I got a signed copy from none other than Jimmy Song. A copy of Bitcoin Billionaires, which I got from the publisher to do the Ben Mesrich interview on Unconfirmed, before Tyler and Karen Winklevoss sent me a signed copy. A three and three quarter inch unchained rabbit sticker. A black three inch unchained logo sticker. A five inch unchained rabbit hole sticker. A mug of the crypto rabbit listening to Unchained. An old school unchained logo baseball cap. A white unchained crypto rabbit hole t-shirt in extra small. A gray unchained crypto rabbit hole t-shirt in extra small. A black unchained crypto rabbit hole t-shirt in extra small. And that's everything. Since I don't imagine I have a ton of listeners who wear extra small, this is the time for the ladies to step up. Or if you're a parent and want to give this to your child, because yes, if you squint hard enough, I could potentially be considered the size of a child, then these t-shirts are for you. If you are one of the winners, we obviously can't guarantee you'll receive your top choice swag. However, we will do our best. Again, to enter to win, tweet about the show with a link, review us on a podcast app, and then send the links to both of those to us at hello at unchainedpodcast.com with a subject line giveaway, along with your preferred picks for swag by midnight on Sunday, January 5th. Good luck, and we will announce the winners and send the swag out in 2020. Happy New Year, everyone. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. I know a bunch of you listen to Unchained at the gym. January is coming up, and I suspect some of you will be hitting the gym more than usual. So why not get really meta and listen to Unchained while also wearing an Unchained t-shirt? You can buy shirts and other Unchained items at shop.unchainedpodcast.com. Again, that's shop.unchainedpodcast.com. 
CypherTrace cutting-edge cryptocurrency intelligence powers anti-money laundering, blockchain analytics, and threat intel. Leading exchanges, virtual currency businesses, banks, and regulators themselves use CypherTrace to comply with regulation and to monitor compliance. Crypto.com. Get their app and buy crypto at true cost. Get a metal MCO Visa card with up to 5% back on all your spending. Download the Crypto.com app today. eToro is one of the largest trading platforms in the world, with over $1 trillion in trading volume on the platform per year. U.S. customers can trade the most popular crypto assets with transparent fees. Create an account today at eToro.com. That's E-T-O-R-O.com. Today's guest is Melton Demirers, Chief Strategy Officer at CoinShares. Welcome, Melton. Hi, Laura. Congratulations on being named one of Coindesk's most influential for 2019. <laughs> um, thank you. It's an interesting list, as it always is. Um, and I always appreciate the great work that Coindesk does for the industry. So it's it's exciting to see. And the art looks amazing, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I actually... Uh, voted for you or nominated you um, because just if I thought over some of the big moments of the past year, obviously the congressional testimonies around Libra were a huge watershed moment. And I really felt like your speech in particular was probably the OMG moment within those hearings. Because, you know, at that time, you just had such a clear voice expounding on the benefits of Bitcoin and decentralization. And then also, if I look back, I also felt like that moment um, where you <laughs> threw shit coins out of the toilet at Magical Crypto was um, truly memorable. <laughs> So for you, when you look back at the year, how would you sum it up? What do you think were the big developments of 2019? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, thank you. I really appreciate your support. I know we've known each other for a long time, um, and it's been such a, a pleasure. And so I, I appreciate those kind words. Um, and generally, I think everyone in the crypto community, if I can call it that, um, has been very supportive. It feels like this year, people started to collaborate a bit more. Um, although now at the end of the year, I feel like we're sliding <laughs> back into some of the tribalism of <laughs> the past. But just some. <laughs> just a little bit. Um, but I think one of the things this year that for me was really interesting, not on a personal level, but just at a global macro level is I think um, the environment we've been in for the last 10 years, if I look at the last decade, which is really the first decade in in history that we've had Bitcoin because the Bitcoin network launched in 2010. Um, as I look back on the last decade and what's really started to come through in the narrative this year is this general sense that the world we're living in um, from an economic perspective, from a political perspective, from a social perspective, and from a technical sort of technology um, shift perspective, there are a lot of concerns about how unsustainable the world we're living in is. And it's been really interesting to see this year how all of these different narratives that have been evolving and really brewing for the last decade are all coming to head in this really fascinating series of events. Um, if we look at all of the drama around Brexit and the dissolution of 
you know, the, the Eurozone. Um, if we look at what's happening in Hong Kong, if we look at what's happening in Venezuela, um, there's been just so many shifts in our world that have been a result, I think, of, of a lot of things that have culminated over the last decade since the financial crisis in 2009 and the subsequent policies that were implemented. And it's been really interesting to watch how the narrative around Bitcoin has really shifted, um, to, account for some of those broader macro shifts. And um, I think the narrative is starting to really coalesce around that broader macro narrative, which makes it, I think, much more approachable. Um, it makes it much more interesting for people who think of the world more through a macro lens. So in a way, it's been fun to see the umbrella of crypto widening to include a much larger audience of people outside of just, you know, the technologists we started with and then the crypto enthusiasts who entered through this mass sort of retail bubble in 2017. Now we have Christine Lagarde at the ECB, you know, talking about uh, central bank issued digital currencies and potentially introducing a Eurozone stable coin. We have um, Xi Jinping in China talking about issuing a central bank digital currency. We have Mark Carney at the Bank of England speaking about it. We have Jay Powell in the U.S. speaking about it. So I think, again, um, it's just been fascinating to see how the narrative has shifted and how the global awareness of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and what can be enabled has also shifted as a result. And earlier when you were saying that, you know, Bitcoin it, within this larger picture appears to be kind of being something that people recognize as like having benefits. When you say that, is, be is it because of uh, the dangers of centralization that people see from, you know, ish issues around things like Facebook or data mm -hmm. privacy? And so do you feel like that's what the narrative is that Bitcoin promotes? Well, I think there's um, really three narratives I think about. The first is the technology narrative, which is one um, that's been playing out, obviously, for a long time. But I think this year is the first year that privacy has really entered into the popular lexicon as a topic of conversation. And in fact, um, the New York Times is doing a whole series on digital privacy and how you know our phones are tracking us everywhere we go. <laughs> there have been so many news stories about the erosion of of privacy for private citizens, for consumers um, at every level. So I think the privacy narrative is really driven by the fact that technology, you know, is now such an omnipresent part of our lives, but there are no rules, there are no regulations that really govern the use of this technology. Um, and so the, the technology narrative to me is one component where instead of being um, oriented around don't be evil, which is Google's motto. Um, Blockstack, which is a company in our industry, has sort of adopted this motto of can't be evil. And I think that's been interesting to see how building systems from these protocols and primitives upward that make it difficult or impossible for people's privacy to be infringed upon is part of the technology shift we've seen. I think the second part of that narrative is the economic kind of fiscal monetary policy component. And if we look at the erosion of the monetary base, and um, the debasement of currency around the world as a result of the troubling of global debt over the last decade and just the fast sums of money that are being printed. Um, I think that's been part of the narrative around the value of Bitcoin and other assets that have a fixed supply where there is no central bank. There is no entity that can simply print more. Although, you know, there are some challenges with that with certain cryptocurrencies that, that maybe have um, monetary supplies that are more flexible. 
And I think the last component is really a social component, which is really interesting to me. And when I say social, I think part of it's cultural, part of it's political, and part of it's really ideological. But we are in the midst of this global mind shift um, where the world, you know, the the way the world operates, the way we think, the way culture is created and shared is starting to to change. Obviously, influencer culture is huge. Crypto is is a community that's driven by memes. <laughs> Sometimes it resembles religion. And even, you know, there are these strong beliefs that are really strongly held. And so I think it's been really interesting to see how the political climate, political instability, political uncertainty has contributed to the appeal of cryptocurrencies and the idea of these open source sort of open communities um, that develop online. And then I think it's also been interesting to see from a cultural perspective how um, there is this aspect of our culture, you know, people are not as religious as they were before. Um, communities are not as strong as they were before. And so I think for a lot of people who come into crypto, what's fun or interesting or exciting for them is this community, this culture, um, this set of beliefs they buy into. And I think this year we really started to appreciate um, Bitcoin as a social movement, as well as a monetary movement and a technology movement. You've been talking a lot about Bitcoin, and I know, or at least I heard, you have this shitcoin minimalist t-shirt, <laughs> um, but obviously you used to invest in altcoins sure. and you know, it's something that you've talked about. And so I was wondering now, uh, nowadays, where do you fall on the scale of Bitcoin maximalism? <laughs> um, sure. I, look, I think Bitcoin maximalism is is not a way I would describe myself. I think that terminology in and of itself is like having to choose. So A or B, um, whereas my view is more A and B, right? Um, I don't think that things have to be mutually exclusive. Uh, look, my view has always been... Um, there's a lot of known, unknown unknowns out there, right? Um, around Bitcoin and all of these new protocols and just what's happening in, in cryptocurrency and the broader world in general. And so for me, I'm spending most of my time nowadays, um, focused on Bitcoin and capital markets, um, and thinking more about Bitcoin because let's be frank, 70% of the market for cryptocurrencies is Bitcoin. And if we look at the majority of activity, it's still centered around Bitcoin because it's been around the longest. It has the most market depth. It's the most highly traded asset. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't spend time looking at things happening in the Ethereum community, things happening with new protocols and new um, crypto primitives, things happening in different parts of the tech community that are adjacent to crypto. So for example, privacy is an area I'm really excited about, free speech and uh, communications, an area I'm really excited about, mesh networking, which is more about connectivity, is something I'm excited about and interested in. So um, I don't identify as a Bitcoin maximalist, but I do think a lot of the exuberance around new protocols and like Bitcoin competitors um, was very overhyped. And I myself, I think well, many of us got a little carried away with that and started to buy into that in that brief time period um, at the end of 2017 and early 2018. But I think over the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, I've really come to appreciate um the ability to have focus on on Bitcoin and to just um, remove some of the noise because there's so much happening. I think trying to keep up, up with everything just isn't humanly possible, at least not for me. 
<laughs> oh my God. That's like my job and I also can't do it. It's not, it's not possible. Um, anyway, <laughs> in a moment, we'll discuss Libra and more about Bitcoin and privacy. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Are you interested in getting into the cryptocurrency markets, but don't know where to start building your portfolio? eToro has the answer for you. It's called Copy Trader by eToro. With CopyTrader, you can automatically copy every trade of eToro's top crypto traders at the exact price in real time. No need to study up on markets or develop your own strategies. Simply sign up and copy the trader of your choice. Any profits they make, you do too, proportional to your investment. With eToro, you get access to the world's most popular cryptocurrencies with transparent trading fees, all in one easy-to-use app. Copy the smart money with eToro. Join now at eToro.com. That's E-T-O-R-O.com. Crypto.com. Have you seen the MCO Visa card? A metal card loaded with perks with up to 5% back and unlimited airport lounge access. They pay for your Spotify and Netflix too. What's not to love? With Crypto.com, not only can you spend your crypto, but you can grow it too. Earn up to 6% per year on the most popular coins, like BTC, XRP, LTC, and up to 12% per year on stable coins. Join the over 1 million others and download the Crypto.com app today. Back to my conversation with Meltem Demurers of CoinShares. So let's just talk about Libra. It was a huge <laughs> theme for 2019. We can't ignore it. So, um, you know, you did say in Congress, it's not a true cryptocurrency, which I even think the creators actually would agree with. So I'm just curious to know, like, you know, if Libra does get to launch, what do you think its effect will be on the development of crypto? Yeah, I, look, I think again, um, the delineation I tried to make during the congressional hearings was there's, um, Bitcoin and Bitcoin has some really unique characteristics. And then there's a wide spectrum of things, um, some of which are more like Bitcoin, but others of which are really not cryptocurrencies. Um, they're digital assets, maybe. Um, and they, again, have every right to exist. And I take no issue with their creation and their issuance and them being a part of, of the global economy and the, the global tech ecosystem. But I think categorizing them as a cryptocurrency, um, and comparing them to Bitcoin, both in treatment, um, and in, in fact is, not accurate. And so uh, I am confident that the team at Facebook, you know, they employ some of the most brilliant people in the world. I have a lot of respect for a lot of the people who work on the Libra team. Um, they're very thoughtful. They have clearly spent a lot of time thinking about how to build this, how to launch it. They've borrowed a lot of different components from different existing protocols, um, whether it's in the governance mechanism, whether it's in how the the wallets work. So it's, it's clearly something that a lot of time and energy has gone into, and I think it, it will launch. It'll be interesting to see how and where and, and what the response is. Um, but I think Libra is really not directly related to what's happening in, in crypto. I think it feels to me a little bit like if you recall in 2016, 2017, the narrative was blockchain, not Bitcoin. And I feel like in 2019, 2020, the narrative is uh, digital assets, not digital currencies. <laughs> and so, you know, this trend of security tokens and putting assets on blockchains and having things like Libra is definitely ex exciting. And I think it's great to see companies getting more comfortable with the space and with these ideas through things like Libra. But I think it's a few steps removed from what this industry and what this social movement, if you will, is, is all about. 
So if that's a trend that's probably more in the near term, there's one that I definitely think is on the horizon that a lot of people are talking about. And you mentioned it earlier, which is privacy, Mm -hmm. you know, but this is one of those areas where I always just feel like however the privacy issue gets solved, it will only be solved until it gets cracked. And like people will always be kind of pushing the limits on that. So I was curious to know how you think about it, you know, how you think this will be integrated. Like, will we continue to see these sort of like dedicated privacy coins or, you know, what what areas do we even think need to be addressed when it comes to privacy, et cetera? Yeah, I think the big question for me with privacy is, but if you ask a normal person, um, do you care about privacy? The answer is always yes, right? But the reality is, is that most people are not willing to take any steps at all to protect their privacy, right? And so yeah, yeah. there is this interesting sort of trade-off where, you know, I myself am guilty of this. I put my credit card information into Instagram on a regular basis. It's pretty terrible for privacy. Um, I've tried to walk around Manhattan for a day with location services turned off, um, but it makes my life really difficult. So inevitably, like once a month, I go through this phase where I delete everything from my phone. I turn off like location services, tracking everything. And then I try to live like that for a few days. And then I just drive myself crazy because I want the convenience, right? I'm so accustomed to having the convenience of all these apps and products and services I'm dependent on, and then I just turn it all back on. So I think where we're going to see privacy evolve and what I think is interesting is this idea of premium privacy services where people are willing to pay um, to have privacy. And I think there are already a few companies that are doing this. There's Helm, um, which is outside of the crypto space. They uh, manufacture a hardware device. It's a a home router and a home email server um, that allows you to, you know, manage your own email flow. And it has a router. Um, The Casa node is another interesting hardware device. Um, I'm an investor in Casa, full disclosure, so I'm probably biased. But that's (laughs) a a Bitcoin Lightning node that you can run that also has Tor enabled, um, which I think is a really cool idea. So make it easier for people to use Tor. Uh, Brave is a great example, right? Um, they have DuckDuckGo and Tor enabled in their browser natively. They're focused on on enabling privacy for their users. And so I think uh, ProtonMail is another great example, right? Um, encrypted uh, email and the company has a very strong ethos around um, protecting privacy of their users. So I think, again, the question with privacy is who's going to pay for it and um, who's willing to go through that inconvenience? And is it really possible to have privacy without making trade-offs? And this is always the fundamental question, even when you look at, you know, whether you should have privacy at the protocol layer or privacy at the network layer or privacy within an application. Um, these are always sort of the questions you ask is what are the trade-offs you make around usability? And then at the end of the day, the real question is, is are users willing to make those trade-offs, particularly around experience and convenience, as well as, as cost? But I think as more people learn about all of the ways in which their privacy is basically non-existent, um, perhaps there will be a market that emerges for these premium paid privacy services. Uh, but I, I, I think it's to be determined. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting to me that the largest surveillance, the largest surveillance organizations in the world are not governments. They're actually private companies that have all these apps on our phones that have cookies and widgets to track our every move. Um, it's pretty astounding that we literally just don't care. Myself included. Again, yeah. I think it's, it's just a very difficult when it's so ubiquitous. Yeah. 
So also looking ahead to the future in a more specific way, the Bitcoin halving obviously is coming up in 2020. What effect do you think that will have on the Bitcoin price and on mining and security? Sure. So our firm CoinShares, uh, we publish a Bitcoin mining report every six months or so. We just published our fourth installment, which covers a lot of data around um, OPEX, CAPEX, the cost of mining Bitcoin in different parts of the world, the amount of renewable energy that's used versus fossil fuels, etc. So highly recommend folks check that out. Um, if you go to our website, coinshares.co, it's right there, easy to find. Um, or if you look up CoinShares mining report, we have the highlights on Medium. Quick promo. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> but it's a great report. Our team does a really good job with that. Um, I think that having the happening, if you will, is always a, a fun event. Um, we're about to go through another one. They're always interesting. They're always dramatic. You know, people always talk about, is it priced in? Is it not priced in? Who knows? I think the one thing that's different about this having is in the prior two havings, um, there was no directionality in the crypto market, meaning I could only really be fundamentally long Bitcoin, right? And in this market, now that we have, you know, CMEs, derivatives, we have BACs, derivatives, Aerosex, is launching derivatives tacit has there's like tens if not hundreds of places where traders can trade derivatives there's also a much bigger market for bitcoin there are more people who hold bitcoin there's bigger firms involved in bitcoin so i think now that you have directionality in a much deeper market for bitcoin um it's going to change the way people trade around the having but i do think the one fundamental thing we know is the bitcoin the, the daily amount of bitcoin produced is going to be cut in half and the demand for bitcoin continues to grow um if we look at the amount of bitcoin that's bought through squares cash App. If we look at amount the amount of Bitcoin um, that's put into our product, the XBT provider Bitcoin um, exchange trader product, as well as the Grayscale product, um, you know, continues to rise. More and more certificates get created every quarter because people want exposure to Bitcoin in their retirement accounts. And so, I think if we look at uh, the fact the supply is getting cut in half and demand's going up, most of us have taken Econ 101. When that happens, price goes up. <laughs> And so I do think um, there will be an impact, but I think it'll be interesting to see how people trade around the having, and particularly some of these large high-frequency trading firms like Jump, like Alameda, like Cumberland, um, how their participation in the market this time around might impact the way that price responds in, in the short to medium term. And any other predictions for 2020 and for the 2020s? Yeah, so we're at the end of one decade. I think that's so cool. Like we've had a whole decade of Bitcoin. And um, I think back, you know, 2009 uh, was when I finished university and I started working. Um, and the world was such a different place then. And in so many different ways, again, like from a technology perspective, from an economic perspective, and from a social and political perspective, the world was a very different place 10 years ago. And um it, all of the things that have happened over the last 10 years have been exciting and scary and interesting. And so I think the next decade of Bitcoin is going to be just as fascinating, just as weird, <laughs> and just as wild. And I think um, I, I always love thinking about, you know, there are the known knowns. There are things we know about, like, for example, the halving, right? We know that in four years from 2020, we're going to have another halving, roughly, Um so there are things we know. Then there are known unknowns, which is things we know we don't know, um, but we can kind of pontificate and sort of speculate about what they might be. And then my favorite area is unknown unknowns, um, which is, you know, in, in the olden days when people were making maps, 
obviously humans in certain cultures had only explored certain parts of the world. So they would make these maps. And whenever they got to a point on the map where they didn't know what was supposed to be on the map after that, they had never been that that far. Um, they would actually put dragons and mythical sea creatures and they would write here be dragons on the map <laughs> and i think that's pretty cool it's like here's the land of mythical mystical magical creatures where the impossible is possible and i think some of what we're entering into is this territory of the unknown unknowns like who knows what we're gonna find who knows what's possible and the thing is the pace at which things move today and the way that markets are so interconnected and the speed at which data and information flows and the speed at which social movements and political movements can catalyze, um, I think that makes the unknown unknowns extremely potent and extremely exciting. And so my focus for the next decade is continuing to build out, um, you know, our our investment firm partner here at CoinShares, but also continuing to really focus on capitalizing companies, products, and services that are going to help us face the unknown unknowns at this time with Bitcoin as a tool. Yeah, I think my unknown unknown that I'm curious about is what is the black swan event in DeFi that nobody can see that is going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> what I wonder about, I was just like, hmm, like this all like super, 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 like it's very enticing and interesting to me. Um, but I'm like, I, there's at some point, I feel like there's going to be something that happens. But anyway... Well, it's like engineering has discovered finance for the first time. And so <laughs> I, I think it's cool. Like generally, um, I think it's it's always interesting and good to see people experimenting with new ways of constructing products and services. But I think what we forget is um, in doing so, we create different types of risk. And I think, again, like before the DAO hack, a lot of people had no concept of, of risk, right? <laughs> and then people for the first time had a, had that idea of like, oh, there's actually risk when we do these things because it creates massive vulnerabilities. <laughs> Similarly, you know, the fact that everyone's creating Bitcoin custody solutions and, you know, it's very likely that a large percentage of all of the Bitcoin in circulation are going to be custodied at a handful, small handful of institutions. That creates existential risk and systemic risk. Um, Likewise, you know, DeFi has its own unique risks. And I think, again, one of the important things I just try to keep in mind is how do we stay aware of what the risks are? Um, how do we educate people about the risks using history as a, a guide? Because these things have happened before. And I think we're constantly in this cycle where we repeat the same learning just in different ways um, and with different tools. <laughs> so that's interesting. And then... Um, I think, again, it's what can we build to help minimize some of that risk? And I will say, you know, the crypto community is very creative. Um, there's a lot of ingenuity. And so it'll be, again, interesting to see what that unknown, I think that's a known unknown, by the way, Laura. So it'll be interesting when that known unknown uh, becomes a reality. And then I think the, the part that will be interesting is seeing how the community reacts. Will they roll back the chain um, to recover the lost funds? Will they find another their solution, like what there are just so many different ways that, that people could deal with it. And I'm sure there are things that will happen that we can't even imagine yet. So who knows? Yeah. Okay. So listeners, if you're one of the builders, don't forget, here be dragons. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Let's go slay some mythical creatures um, and maybe we'll find new ones in the process. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm sure we will. Um, all right. Well, Melton, thank you so much. It's been great having you on the show. Thanks for being on Unconfirmed. Thanks, Laura. Always good to chat with you. Don't forget, next up is the news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break.
Will the world follow France and advocate banning privacy coins? Will government-backed stablecoins become the new fiat? Are distributed and peer-to-peer exchanges just a flash in the pan? The answer is maybe. Virtual currencies can flourish and create a new, private, and more versatile economy. But that grand vision can't happen without keeping crypto clean. And that requires support of governments and accountability for bad actors. Privacy-enhanced compliance using cryptographic controls has the potential to preserve anonymity without compromising legitimate investigations. CypherTrace is working on this vision of the future. Sign up to stay up to date on the Privacy-Enhanced Compliance Initiative and receive authoritative crypto AML reports quarterly. www.cyphertrace.com slash keep crypto clean. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First headline, plus token scammers pushing down the Bitcoin price? Chainalysis has an incredible analysis. <laughs> I should have edited that, but it's too funny, so I'm going to leave it in of how the $3 billion plus token scam in China is likely pushing down the Bitcoin price. Although the Ponzi scheme was shut down last summer and several individuals connected to it were arrested, Chainalysis was able to track $2 billion from the scam and believes at least one scammer is still at large and has liquidated about $185 million via OTC brokers on Huobi. Definitely check out their post because the graphics showing how the flow to the OTC broker correlate with drops in Bitcoin are pretty fascinating. Second headline, Mnuchin on Libra. I hate everything about this. Robert Hackett at Fortune had a great feature on what went down with the publicity rollout of Libra this year. As you probably deduced from my headline, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin was not a fan of Libra when he got the pitch. I especially enjoyed Robert's behind-the-scenes piece in which he placed his cutting-room floor material, which includes tidbits like that members of the Libra Association have yet to submit their initial $10 million membership fee. Third headline, Parity shifts maintenance of its Ethereum client to a DAO, causing a Twitter blowup. Parity, creators of one of the main Ethereum clients, will no longer actively maintain its codebase and is instead shifting management of it to a DAO called Open Ethereum. Given that the news comes in the midst of a $5 million grant from the Ethereum Foundation that was awarded last January, before the full amount of the funds have been paid out, this caused a bit of a kerfuffle. Former Parity developer Afri Shodan tweeted to to Jutta Steiner, the CEO of Parity, if you had listened once to my advice, you would have never gone through such a public relations nightmare putting the client in a DAO right after receiving a tranche from the e- Ethereum Foundation. However, he did later apologize. Other people weighing in on the discussion looked for ways to pay Afri to maintain the client with this tweet by Taylor Monahan kicking off the discussion. OMG. Will someone, <laughs> a thing, pay Afri already for F's sake? Give me a goddamn ETH address. I will legit get out of bed for this atrocity and it is effing cold outside my bed. She used slightly different verbiage. <laughs> Not helping matters at all were some comments parody co-founder Gavin, made in, Gavin Wood made in his end of 2019 piece for Coindesk. Referring to how parodies... Parity has had about $100 million of money that it had raised in an ICO frozen when a developer exploited a bug. He wrote, quote, if you take the view that an exploitable and obviously unintended bug, 
such as that used by DevOps199 to disable hundreds of wallets, must be considered fair and intended use of a platform, then it surely becomes morally permissible for one platform to actively support efforts to find and exploit those same bugs in competitive platforms. Hmm. Next headline, Metacartel Ventures DAO revives for-profit investment DAOs. Metacartel is launching the Metacartel Ventures DAO, which, like the infamous DAO of yore, will be an investment DAO. However, it is quite different from the original DAO in a number of respects, such as that part of it is structured as a limited liability company, and that members have to be approved and can also rage quit at any time, unlike the people who entered the DAO in an ICO and then were somewhat trapped in it uh, when they tried to remove their money and had to do so via these child DAOs that would uh, prevent their money from actually moving to an exchange for roughly a month. And since crypto likes to keep it weird, or perhaps because J.K. Rowling is a secret member of the Metacartel Ventures DAO, I, I'm just joking there, the DAO, the Metacartel Ventures DAO uses a lot of funny names for the various roles and entities, such as mages and goblins and a grimoire. I had to literally um, look some of these terms up and use the pronunciation button on the dictionary to uh, to be able to say the sentence. Um, however, uh, some of this terminology refers to simple concepts such as things like accredited investors. Anyway, it's kind of a fun read, actually, to uh, see what they've got planned, and we look forward to seeing what happens with this DAO. Next story, Iran proposes creation of a Muslim cryptocurrency. Because, of course, 2019 couldn't close out without yet another story about how crypto is becoming a geopolitical issue. Iranian President Hassan Rouhani suggested Muslim nations form a payment system as well as their own cryptocurrency to help evade some of the sanctions. So we will see what happens with that. Last headline, Blockchain Capital Year in Review. Blockchain Capital had a good year in review with lovely charts plus a few great 2020 predictions. In 2019, they said crypto markets rose $73 billion, but Bitcoin accounted for 93% of that growth. They also noted financial institutions such as Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, JP Morgan, and Bact entered the space, while crypto companies matured with Anchorage, Gemini, and Coinbase becoming qualified custodians. As for their predictions, my favorite of what they're calling their bold 2020 predictions are a federal judge rules against the SEC in a crypto case, KYC AML become the primary regulatory battleground for DeFi, and Bitcoin price blows past the all-time high. All right, fun bits. Impeachment plus Bitcoin equals funny. Yes, I'm the queen of laughing at stupid jokes you can ask my friends in real life. So forgive me, but I found this tweet by Michael Goldstein funny. You know what can't be impeached? Bitcoin. <laughs> All right, that's it for this week's news. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was so funny. Um, to learn more about Meltem and the topics we discussed in this episode, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. Want to show your love for Unchained? Check out our t-shirts, mugs, hats, and stickers at shop.unchainedpodcast.com. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Fractal Recording, Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Josh Durham, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.